from 87 Lafayette, it's Coronapod. I'm Matt. And I'm Adam. All right, Adam. I'm pretty excited because we have, what is this? Number three? How many times have we done this thing? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to ask our listeners, but I think... I think it is important. I do not recommend listeners do this at home. Only do this if you think it is necessary. But it's fun for us to do it. Start off the week. Week seems to be going okay. Uh, Let's find out if that is, in fact, true with another episode of Temp Check. All right, let's take our temperatures. All right, Adam, what is it? 97.6. I think that's in the range of normal. What do you got? 96.9. I think we're I think we're good to go. You know, I think this is it's very interesting to me because if I recall correctly, last time my temperature was 96.7, which I feel like is a little low. Maybe this explains why I'm always a little bit cold. I clearly just run a little cold. Yeah. But you know what's not cold? The weather today. The weather was absolutely beautiful. It was beautiful. People were outside, and people were struggling to maintain social distance because Bill de Blasio won't close the streets. Bill, if you're listening, you're kind of a useless mayor. You kind of have effed this entire (laughs) thing up. So make it up to us. Close Lafayette Ave. Keep it open for the ambulances that are now a constant reminder of what we're living through. But... Stop the cars. My favorite my favorite and scariest statistic is car travel is down 60 to 70% in New York City in March. What are the other 30% of people doing? They're still driving. I'm sure some of them are essential workers. But the number of speeding tickets issued was up 15%. Okay? Car traffic down by over 50%. And the number of speeding tickets was up 15 to 20%. So the people who are driving, now that they're not stuck in traffic, are driving dangerously quickly, putting people who are trying to get outside at risk, and when they send someone to the hospital and there's not a bed available, that's on Bill de Blasio for not closing the streets, and it's on Bill de Blasio for not pushing to have more speed cameras and better enforcement. I'm not surprised that somehow we have arrived at the not planned topic, but we're basically there. So Adam, I'll just say, I think you need to give your pitch right now for your favorite public policy, which is more... Bike lanes. Exactly. Got it. Always we, we're like 95% of the way there, so I, I figured we need more bike lanes. God knows what's happening to congestion pricing, but these are, these are important things. I don't want them to be forgotten, but there's a lot going on right now. And if there was any other mayor, I'd believe that they were working on something else. But with Bill de Blasio, (laughs) I genuinely just feel like he has no idea what's going on and isn't doing anything. Shout out to the people who work for him, though. You guys are the real heroes. I'm sorry your boss is completely incompetent. We really came out sweating against Bill de Blasio today. Uh, But I I think we should actually transition over to our guest, who I'm really excited to have on the podcast. Our guest is a journalist, someone I've known 
for a really long time. Emma Goldberg, she is a researcher for the editorial board of the New York Times and writes some fantastic stories. Adam, should we give Emma a call? I think we should. Hello. Hey, Emma, it's Matt and Adam from Coronapod. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Matt and Adam. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Of course. Thank you for joining us. So, Emma, you research for the editorial board of the Times. You also write some stories. Tell us what you've been working on recently. Yeah. Um, well, aside from trying to become more of a podcast listener, I've always been <laughs> terrible with following podcasts, and I've decided that that's going to be I'm, I'm not starting like a sourdough starter or anything like you guys, so I'm just going to become a podcast head in this quarantine, if that's the only thing I accomplished. But work-wise, I, um, so almost all of the work that we've been doing with the editorial board is super coronavirus focused. Um, so I've been doing a lot of research and fact checking on editorials that are looking at kind of the federal level, the New York level, like what needs to happen, um, response wise. Uh, and then in my reporting, I've been talking to medical students, physicians, um, different people who are on the front lines in different ways about what that what the response is looking like. And I'm actually finishing up an article right now that's been really fun about what it means for people to celebrate Passover um, in a quarantine and in a like modern day plague. So that's been an interesting one that will surely make my mom happy. I think it will also make my mom very happy and my grandmother. That's all I strive to do. <laughs> and, and every one of my many Jewish relatives. How are people celebrating Passover in a quarantine this year? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Well, one thing that the rabbis have assured me, which is very comforting, is that the first time that the Jews ever celebrated Passover in biblical Egypt, they were in a quarantine because none of them could leave their homes because otherwise they would be stricken with the plague of the death of the firstborn children. So they were like very self-isolated. So we're actually really just like getting back to our biblical roots, which is great. Um, the challenge being that, I don't know about you guys, but my pandemic pantry is very heavy on the legumes, like the mm. lentils and the chickpeas and the beans, um, which is... And, and a typical no for we're, we're going Sephardic in this household. <laughs> Are you guys going Sephardic this year? I, I think it's going to be a necessity. <laughs> I mean, it's only appropriate, I would say, for um, Passover in the age of Corona, um, but. Incidentally, what you guys are doing is what a lot of Jews that I've talked to are doing. They're just like, fuck it, we're absolutely not going to throw out our lentils right now because we're in a fucking pandemic, so we're not going to do that. So, it's yeah, it's been an interesting, like, I think that's one of the big trends we're seeing. And then, obviously, everyone's talking about the Zoom seders. Um and then there's just a lot of, there's a lot of room for metaphor with the whole, like, Passover coronavirus, like... Why is this Passover different from all other Passovers? Because we're on a plate. So, you know, because people have a lot of material. Emma, I have to say I'm particularly saddened by uh, the lack of in-person Seders this year because we were actually slated to co-host a Seder that maybe we'll, we will be able to do over Zoom, but certainly we'll have to say next year in, in Brooklyn. 
next year in Brooklyn. That's what the people want. It's true, though. I was thinking about, I was looking at my Google calendar, as I sometimes do when I'm thinking about everything I could have been doing in a parallel non-corona world. And I was like, damn, we had a really amazing Seder situation that was going to happen. And now we're all going to be in our socially distanced homes instead. What are, are, are will you guys be celebrating Passover? Are you retiring the bread baking? I have I have a Seder Wednesday, a Seder Friday, and another Seder Saturday night. So I am I have a lot of Seders. I am I'm thinking about making matzah. I think this is the perfect time, right? You know, the whole story of matzah is that there is no time to let the bread rise. I've been failing at letting my own bread rise. <laughs> this seems like a logical time, and you know what? If I do it in under 18 minutes, great. If it takes more than 18 minutes, that's fine too. I, you know, in the Bible it says nothing about like 18 minutes during the uh, in the Book of Exodus. I don't think 18 minutes shows up anywhere. So I'm feeling confident in my ability to get something in the oven on time. I feel confident in you, and I sort of feel like. Right now, everyone's talking about, like, the Brooklyn boys who are baking bread. But the next phase is definitely matzah because it's, like, it's hip. It requires far fewer ingredients for when your pantry runs out of everything that you need for actual bread and you don't want to go to the grocery store. It's, like, and, it, and it's culturally meaningful. So it's, like, really everything plus. It's, it's the perfect quarantine activity. I'm personally pretty excited for, for your matzah, Adam. So, Emma, tell us, satyrs aside, what else have you been working on, either in your role for the editorial board or reporting? What are some of the stories that you think are really important but are just not getting any attention these days? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, something that I've been personally really obsessed with is, like, all the people who are being displaced from hospitals right now or just, like, aren't getting the care that they should be getting because, like, they don't feel safe going to the ER or there just aren't, like, hospital beds right now. Um, And I've been really looking at, like, what it's going to mean for people who are giving birth right now just because, like, that already, I don't know from personal experience, but it seems really stressful. And it's going to be, like, stressful times X when you're doing it in a hospital that's like also confronting a surge of coronavirus patients and then you know the government the governor in New York just uses emergency powers to reverse a rule that a lot of hospitals were making that wasn't allowing for any guests in the room during labor and because I, I think there's like real health risks that I think we're all so focused on the coronavirus risks right now that it's also hard to kind of just hold in your brain at the same time the secondary fallout that's going to come from, like, for example, they're saying that, like, women, there's going to be a rise of women giving home births, which is really, really dangerous, both for the women and the babies. Um, So there's, like, all of these second, there's all these, like, secondary risks from just people not feeling safe going to the ER and going to the hospital. Um, So that's something I've just been thinking about a lot, is, like, all those patients who are displaced. Um, Something that has been giving me, like, a little bit of optimism, or, like, just the most micro bit of optimism, is um, I've I've been talking with this ER doctor who um, works in Brooklyn, and she um, did, like, a 24-hour shift in the ER two weekends ago and, like, immediately got coronavirus. Like, she got home the next day, and she was, like, 
this is crazy. Like this is my first shift and I have it already. Um, but I talked to her today and she just went back for her first shift post-infection and she's actually like found out that she's immune and can donate plasma and now is like feels way less nervous to be working in the ER. So talking to her and hearing that whole like cycle of like from infection to immunity made me feel a little bit calmer. I don't know about you guys. It was my first like store, like my glimmer of like, Oh, okay. At least there's going to be the immune people who come to save us. Mm, Yeah. I, uh, the other day we interviewed my cousin who's a nurse in, in Colorado and, uh, you know, it's definitely a really, really challenging situation. But after she talked to us, she texted me and let me know that in a piece of good news, they actually discharged their first COVID patient who had been intubated for, for a week, a, a 35-year-old man who had been who had been really, really sick. So there are, there are glimmers of optimism. One question I have for you, Emma, you wrote a great piece on doctors trying to go viral on TikTok, uh, I think oh, back yeah. in January before coronavirus oh, really, you know, in the pre, uh, what, what are we going to call the pre-corona era? Um, yeah, like BC before Corona. Yeah, I think, yeah, in uh, January BC, you wrote this great <laughs> piece on, on doctors on TikTok. What are doctors doing on TikTok now? Have you followed up with any of the people you interviewed for that story? Yeah, that's a great question. I've actually been texting with one of them um, because I think, like, social media is kind of like doctors' lifeline right now in a lot of different ways. what What a lot of doctors have told me is that they basically are spending, like, 18 hours a day on different social media platforms talking to other doctors partly to share information because a lot of them just feel like there's so many gaps in their research there's like gaps in their knowledge and they don't know what they should be doing to keep themselves safe and to keep their patients safe so it's like huge for information channels right now since the research is so emergent um but I think they also are definitely starting to see it as an educational tool too like some of them mentioned um like there was this kind of there's been a lot of coverage around like the initial narrative around coronavirus was like it's only a disease of the old and the sick which was like we all now know it was totally inaccurate but there was still like the wave of young people who were kind of like okay like fine we'll get coronavirus maybe and I think they see TikTok as like TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and all of these platforms as really key to just like continuing to reach people and get them information that they're not going to be seeing like in the news or on TV because that's not where they get their their information um so I think they're seeing it both as like education for young people and just like critical lifeline and community for themselves as doctors and I don't know I was kind of surprised because I don't picture doctors like all being just on Facebook all day that's like not what I picture at all but half of them that I spoke with were like oh yeah I spend 100% of my time on Facebook right now because it's the only thing that makes me feel sane is talking to other doctors who are going through this insane experience question I have, I guess this is concerning reporting in general, but especially reporting in a coronavirus age, you know, when you, you have to go talk to people to make this happen. So how are you thinking about finding the people who you need to speak with to do the reporting for your stories? Are you trying to take a more internet forward approach or are you still out on the streets, you know, pounding your beat as it, as it were? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, well, like, to my mom's deep relief, I've really just been reporting from home. Um, and I'm, like, more than ever so grateful for the people who are willing to, like, put themselves on the front lines to do reporting. I read, like, this amazing piece in uh, the Daily News recently um, from a reporter who had toured an ER um, at Maimonides, and I was just like, this is so great. And then he actually, like, wrote on Twitter today that he now has coronavirus, a reporter, and it made me both, like, so grateful for the people who are doing that and so scared because, like, every time I hear a story like that, I'm like... Like, no, we also have to flatten the curve and, like, conserve masks and conserve protective equipment. So, like, it's, it's both really inspiring and terrifying. Um, and I'm lucky right now to be doing, like, all my sourcing really from home. Um, and especially because I'm talking with a lot of medical students, I'm kind of um, gearing up to follow some of the medical students who will be graduating and starting their residencies in the midst of this public health crisis so I've really just been keeping in touch with them like by phone and text and and things like that and just trying to and, and it's a kind of good reporting challenge because it reminds me or reminds you to ask the sort of questions that would get you the information that makes you and the reader feel like you're in the room even though you're in your like ensconced in your quarantine cocoon and wherever Brooklyn or uh, Manhattan um so yeah, I've just been trying to kind of view it as a reporting challenge and also be grateful for the people who are willing to be out there. Are, are those medical students you're talking with excited, nervous? Do they have a sense of what's to come or are they, you know, not thinking about it and, you know, they know the inevitable is coming, but they're, they're, they'll get there when they get there? Yeah, I would say that the majority are terrified like in a way that's really grounding because you're like oh no they're not like superhuman they're just like normal people except that they're about to take on this insane risk and then I would say that there's also a good percentage who like are, are just like it's sort of amazing they're just like oh yeah like hell yeah of course I want to be on the front lines right now like this is what I signed up to do and I, I think it's probably for the most part like a real combination of those because they know that they have the skills so I think it's a little infuriating for them right now to be watching this public health crisis play out like hearing about the tremendous strain on medical workers and knowing they could be there helping but right now they're kind of sitting on their hands watching so I think they're ready to get in there, but at the same time, like, of course, like any human would be like, they're terrified and, and they're terrified of exposing their partners or their families or, or whoever it is they live with. And I think it's especially interesting. All of us are the same age. This is the first time where I have friends and people my age who are involved in news in kind of a different way. Like, obviously, you know, College campuses is its own beat, but that's kind of its own separate world. But now to know people really, really well and to know that they are the same age and that this is what they're about to do is, is so different from, I think, other kind of events that I've lived through. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's kind of crazy because, like, I feel like people always talk about, like, doc, like at least growing up when I heard about people, like, wanting to become doctors, the, like, image that conjured up for me was, like, very like you have a comfortable home and you're like maybe a pediatrician and you see kids and give them stickers and it's like fun and now I think it's just like hit 
like this reality has just like hit me that it's actually a profession where like at the end of the day no matter what specialty you're going into you're also signing up for just an incredible risk and that's like people that we know are going to be there if not now then in a year or two definitely well emma thank you so much for coming on the podcast this has been great and please stay healthy and keep doing the great reporting that you've been doing thanks so much guys i can't wait to try your matzo please keep me posted yes we'll, we'll be doing we'll be doing matzo deliveries matzo does oh, get, i can't wait matzo ships through mail well <laughs> yeah it's, it is well designed to what if some, my sister told me some joke about how matzo is the the perfect uh food for this time because you can slip it under a door and allow social distancing <laughs> delivery there you go oh my god can you deliver some to my parents too just give me the address. Uh, Matt and I will hop on our bicycles and uh, we'll deliver matzah to everyone in need. Wow. <laughs> Did we just start a new, like, coronavirus nonprofit? <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I don't have anything else to do, so sure. <laughs> there we go. I'll, I'm happy to help however I can. Thanks, Emma. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. I think we just came up, you just came up, with a great idea. Matzah delivery. Yeah, well, we've talked to um, Invisible Hands, and Simone spoke about what Invisible Hands is doing to transport groceries to people in need. But what do you do when there's no matzah at the supermarket? This is something my sister's dealing with, so my mom is actually driving to Brooklyn tomorrow to deliver some matzah. If there's no matzah left in Manhattan, what do you do? You call on us. The matzo bakers. This has been Coronapod. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay healthy. Coronapod is brought to you by Momo the Cat. Follow her at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat. And potentially soon, we'll have a new sponsor, our matzah company.